Welcome to episode 33 of Energy Radio. My name is Matt, and on this episode, we have Pat Lowe, who's the Senior Manager of Partnerships and Innovation with the IESO. Uh, Pat, welcome to the podcast today. Hey, thanks for uh, inviting me over, Matt. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be on this uh, podcast. Yeah, thanks for uh, carving out time. Uh, we talked before, you've got a busy household, so you've escaped to a reasonably quiet space outside. So um, really pleased to have you. Um, maybe, maybe just kind of start, you know, give me and, and the listeners kind of some background on, you know, your what, what you brought you, what brought you to this point, your kind of career thus far, and, and how you ended up in this uh, pretty exciting role, I think, that you're in now. Yeah, so I've been in the sector for uh, for about 15 years now, or at least this is my 15th year. Um, I really started up the sector when I got my first co-op job at uh, Hydro One. So uh, majority of you probably do know Hydro One. It's the largest uh, transmission distribution company in Ontario. And um, started off co-op there. I, I'll be honest, I have no idea why they hired me back, <laughs> looking at how I did uh, worked there and then um, had some fun and then they started to hire me back. was there for about 13 years and then I saw a really fantastic opportunity at the ISO and um, I really liked my interests and a lot of that's innovation. So uh, we've we heard all the time right now, the entire electricity sector is undergoing a lot of change. Um, there's a lot of both uh, emerging technologies and disruptive technologies that can really uh, quote unquote decentralize the grid, if you will. And with that, there's a significant opportunity to really do things differently um, to address uh, affordability and reliability for the ratepayers of Ontario. And because the ISO was um, very much ingrained and focused on, uh, I would say, almost emerging new markets, if you will, um, how to really enable these new new type of innovations to really prevail, um, I thought fantastic opportunity. And I cold called the uh, director and uh, got an interview and then uh, yeah here I am ever since so it's been a fantastic uh, journey in my career and I'm doing something that I really love and enjoy and I love talking about it too so maybe that's why I'm doing this podcast as well. Well that's great and I you know I, I think life's too short not to enjoy what you're doing so that's that's great to hear and, and it already I can hear it in the energy in your voice. Um, maybe before we move on to that just a, a bit about you know Hydro One was clearly a, a big part of your, your early career, what were some of the things you were doing there? Were you, you know, transmission, distribution, what aspects of the business were you in there that kind of laid the groundwork for what you're doing at ISO? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's really kind of funny when I reflect back on my career, it seems like everything I've done has built up to the point that I'm at as well. So uh, fresh out of university, um, that's when the first round of fit contracts uh, came about or came on. and. I was one of the uh, engineers that had to basically get visibility uh, control systems, I guess, to every single uh, generation that was connecting on the grid. So I spent a lot of time kind of uh, in these uh, relay rooms and then just trying to jam together Hail Marys and pray that, you know, uh, we get SCADA systems right down to enable this visibility um, generation. So it was a really good, interesting learning experience. Uh, after that, I moved on to operations. And even then, I was still very much focused on uh, the generation world. And uh, I was doing a lot of, um, I guess, uh, solutions type uh, architecture with Hydro-One's uh, distribution management system. So at the time, they were bringing on a DMS system. And um, I was heavily involved in that, too, uh, as well as providing a lot of, uh, I guess, governance control of all the data that would go into the DMS, 
So working on things such as uh, like policies for uh, dispute generation. Um, so I was very much always focused on the DG world. After that at Hydro One, I evolved to corporate research and development. And in it, I managed an investment portfolio of $6 million per year, uh, focused on, once again, a lot of the, uh, the type of research stuff. Um, at the time, I know energy storage was uh, a hot topic. So uh, I worked on a lot of the energy storage profiles and I sat on um, EPRI's ESIC Energy Storage Integration Council. Sorry, okay. there's going to be a lot of acronyms I'm throwing out that I'm still kind of catching up to. But, That's a good uh, Yeah, so I kind of uh, uh, sat on the council representing Hydro One on that. Um, afterwards, it actually evolved, that role evolved into strategy and innovation. And that's where I led the deployment of Hydro One's uh, tenure distribution strategy. Okay. And the most of that was focused on uh, improving reliability and affordability for the ratepayers in Ontario and looking at uh, how grid modernization can factor into it. Um, so that was a really, uh, well, it was a fun and also hectic uh, assignment, but um, I'm really blessed uh, for being able to work on that. And, um, you know, really thankful to Hydro One for giving me a lot of these uh, fantastic opportunities. And after that, that leads me to ISO, where I'm continuing on kind of on that, that path of, uh, you know, distribution, um, modernization, innovation. And uh, the biggest thing I'm learning around the ISO is really about uh, markets and flexibility markets, quote unquote. So I know in Europe they call them flexibility markets. Ontario, uh, I guess we're kind of framing it as like uh, local electricity markets. So really um, distribution level markets enable more uh, DER resources. Okay. So... Um, I want this whole innovation topic, particularly as it relates to, you know, electricity, you know, regulated type, you know, entities is fascinating to me. So I, I'm going to enjoy the conversation. But just to set the table for the, our listeners, you know, brief elevator pitch on on ISO, what their mandate is, you know, maybe what they've done until now. And then kind of and then we'll get into the innovation piece. Yeah, so uh, ISO's core functions to, to basically uh, plan for the system tomorrow and also uh, operate it. Um, so we make sure that uh, there's always going to be enough uh, electricity supply for every uh, every consumer electricity in the province of Ontario. Um, we also operate the grid, so we actually take a look at um, real time uh, the real real time system, ensure that uh, power is flowing where it needs to go. Um, now, one of the biggest things that we've been doing uh, at ISO is we've been taking a shift and focusing on innovation. And uh, with that innovation, a lot of our focus um, will be on uh, on enabling new resources for comp enabling competition. So a lot of the work we're doing right now is published in uh, a document called our Innovation Roadmap. So that is available online at ISO's website. Um, I can't tell you the link off the top of my head, but that's something that we can give to you to share to your uh, viewers um, via link afterwards. Uh, but it really outlines the fundamental how we're going to attack innovation uh, to enable new resources, to gain visibility to new resources. Um, and once again, everything that we do will always flow back to enabling um, affordability and reliability for the ratepayers of Ontario. Yeah, and and you know innovation. I mean, it's a bit of a buzzword, I think, in today's environment. And but it means, you know, so many different things to so many people. Uh, you know, for me, um, you know, running and owning a, a small business, employing, you know, how many people, innovation means a certain thing. Um, and for me, it, there's a lot less, you know, kind of bounds and constraints to what I can innovate on. I I just 
I feel like it's the right thing to do and, and the rest of our ownership team thinks so, then we can do it. Um, but innovating for a, a public entity, really, uh, or a public market where, you know, commitment and investment decisions are, in some cases, in the hundreds of millions or billions, have 30, 40, 50 year lives on them. Um, I think innovation means something different. Like, to talk to us and... You know, you, you hear the in our space, you hear the horror stories of, you know, Hawaii and, and you know, what's happening in their system because of, of DG and things of that nature. Like, you know, this need there's a, there's a on one hand, there's a dramatic need to innovate and to pivot. And on the other hand, there's these constraints. Um, so I, I don't know if you're maybe I'm missing the mark, but are, are you seeing some of that tension? Like, you know, how important it is for you guys? And maybe that's why ISO is doing it. But. I would imagine it's it's a a really important thing and b something that's not easy to do either from your from from ISO's perspective. Yeah, hundred um, percent. So while we and you hear it all the time right now in the sector, you know uh, we're in a state of change. Uh, there's new opportunities to do things differently, but at the same time too, we've done things historically um, a traditional way for a very very long time, and it's worked. Uh, like if you look at transmission, right, how much can you really innovate on the transmission side? So uh, that's, I think, a lot of the viewers, uh, up to the viewers to basically answer uh, that question. Um, on the distribution side, we keep saying that, you know, with DGs and DRs and even grid modernization, right, now is a perfect time to innovate. But before we go and invest billions and billions of dollars into it, we have to make sure that whatever we're innovating uh, works. And like we, I think you kind of nailed it too. We're, we are in an industry of buzzwords. So I've heard like buzzwords nonstop, um, the terms like uh, non-wisal terms, right? That like is a bit of a buzzword. Uh, my favorite one is digital twin. So that's something else that's kind of emerged. And once again, that's a buzzword for, uh, this is my own inter interpretation anyways, for like SCADA systems, more robust SCADA systems. So when we, when we're flooded with all these buzzwords, right? Are we, are we planning for, um, you know, we got to do this because like you're missing it or are we doing that because there's actually something that's really logical and tangible that we need to do. And once again, if we're focused on the customer, improving their for building reliability, um, are we innovating for those customers? And so anything that we do, we really need to take on well thought out research. And that's where I kind of tie innovation research together as well. Um, for instance, the York region pipe that I'm sure we will be uh, diving into a little bit further on. Um, it's really the first of its kind project in both Canada and in North America. And this is, gives us a really big opportunity to really um, test bed a local electricity market and how it integrates with the bulk system level. So right now, ISO, we are the transmission system operator, i.e., you know, we run both uh, real-time energy markets and capacity markets. At the distribution level, there's, there's nothing of its sort. And while we keep saying we need the distribution level market, we need DRS to play a more active role. Um, even if we spent a lot of money building this type of market on the distribution side, will people really come on? Will people actually really participate? Uh, are the prices uh, economical? Like, is this the thing that we need to do? Because the industry is like shouting for it and advocating for it. And uh, that's where research comes in. We need to actually execute well thought out research, um, take the evidence and findings, and then uh, uh, from there we can actually make some logical strategic next steps. And absolutely right that you know if we if we go dive in head first for innovation and start doing everything innovation we we implement every single quote unquote buzzword term 
in the sector, right? Um, I don't know if that would be the cheapest, most economic of the rate pairs and even the most reliable. And that's very much the core focus of our group here at the ISO. It is to do that well thought out research. And um, right now I do manage something called the Grid Mission Fund as well, which is a $9.5 million yearly investment into innovations. And what we're really trying to push the needle on is advancements in the electricity sector, um, both from markets perspective, um, even things like energy efficiency, uh, things like demand side um, technologies. Uh, we really want to know what works. And even if the research didn't work right, um, what are the gaps and what uh, further research needs to be undertaken to really make things uh, viable. So um, it, we, whatever we do, we need to really do well thought out research to gather evidence for next steps. So to, to kind of summarize, I think what I heard, you know, you say, you know, innovation is important, but, you know, innovation to keep up with the cool kids or to keep up with what's, you know, hot and sexy doesn't make sense. It needs to be innovation that's customer driven and, and meets the needs of the customer. And and I think what I heard you say is that, um, you know, to get there, you need to do the research. You can't just, you know, go there. You have to make sure what you're doing. So some of the stuff that you're doing is is to validate that research, but ultimately your innovation and your research is not so much around technology, but more market constructs. And, and you know, you guys are trying to figure out how you guys can create markets or, you know, create rules or, and regulations or alleviate rules and regulations that allow for other innovation to take place. Is that kind of, is that your space in, in this whole in, innovation sphere? Yeah, so ISO's innovation research and development team, uh, we focus on technologies, we focus on policies even, uh, what policies or uh, what recommended policy need to in place to enable more um, more innovation in this sector. Um, we look at uh, we look at regulators, so uh, we are working with the like, OEB as well, um, and you know we we share research with the OEB. Uh, fairly regularly. Um, we really work with all entities and the sector and we, we kind of see ourselves a little bit as the, uh, the integrator, Ontario's integrator okay. uh, of, of research and innovation and a part of integration just really understanding is it viable and you know um, are there barriers in place that we need to we need to push the needle forward and that's very much what uh, we're doing here um, and innovation uh, by our definition, it, it doesn't just stream on technologies. Uh, it's basically doing things differently, and that can be policies, um, processes, uh, like different business cases, different markets. Um, we are looking at anything that we can do differently, and once again, reflecting back on uh, benefits to repairs of Ontario. So really, your your scope is quite broad. It's not just figuring out how to change policy or how to drive markets, but it's also you know, how to engage customers and how to, you know, what, what technologies are out there. It, it's really wide angled kind of focus on what you're doing, right? It is. Uh, yeah. Like my official title is uh, Senior Manager of Partnerships and Innovation. Okay. And the way we really view this is that um, it has to be done collaboratively, this research, and that's engaging uh, the sector broadly. So uh, I don't just work with technology companies. I don't just work with uh, engineers. I don't just work with like regulators. I work with everybody. Yes. Um, and to really enable uh, to a, understand what research we need to undertake, uh, what are the gaps in the industry, and who do we need to talk to to at least uh, take the next step forward. Cool. 
So one of the big, bold steps forward uh, that you and your team have taken is this York Region local electricity market. Um, before I ask you to describe it, have I used the right term? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question right now. Uh, we've been we've been undertaking some branding back and forth, but right now uh, it's either the ISO's York Region Non-Wiles Alternatives Demonstration Project or ISO's York Region uh, Local Electricity Market. Right now, either or. Either, either way, it's ISO's, it's, right? It is. Yeah, ISO's uh, definitely taking the lead on this, uh, but we do have fantastic partners as well. Uh, we are working with uh, Enercan, so uh, Natural Resources Canada. They're wow. a big, uh, big funder for this project. Excellent. Um, and at the same time, we're also working with Electra uh, also. Yeah. So Electra is our uh, delivery partner uh, for this undertaking. Yeah. Um and and from my vantage point, you know, I know they've gone through some M&A recently. I think some people will uh, refer to them as Hydro 2 because they're so big now. But um, I've always I've always seen Electra as and we know we know a little bit some of the leadership there. And they certainly seem to be, you know, out in front in terms of, you know, leading ahead of the pack. So that's really cool uh, that they're involved. So talk to us about you know what what is what is the project? You know, where are you at? What are you hoping to achieve kind of? who's maybe other players, just give us a description of, of this fun project. Yeah, um, so I guess I'll kind of uh, trace back into the need for this project to begin with. Uh, so in York region, it's one of the fastest growing uh, regions in Ontario. Um, Windsor Essex would be the other one, uh, but we're seeing a lot of tremendous growth, right? It's almost one third of a nuclear power plant that we're seeing situated uh, right in York region um, in terms of needs. So it's great, communities are thriving there. There's a lot more, houses and businesses are uh, moving towards uh, the York region area. But what that means is to, uh, we need, they need more access to electricity. So traditionally by means, we always use our uh, poles and wires, right? Let's upgrade the transformer stations, let's sign new transmission lines, let's build new distribution infrastructure. But one of the things we wanted to see is, um, can we actually procure local resources, right, to meet this need? So if you really think about uh, York region as a whole, um, it's a local solution or it's a local need. And a lot of the communities themselves might have resources available to actually meet this need, but they just don't have that mechanism to uh, to dispatch onto the grid to um, to basically provide the solution. And at its core fundamental uh, focus, the York region pilot is to allow uh, distribution level resources, uh, anything behind the meter, anything that's small scale, um, to really be involved uh, in the electricity um, sector right in York region as well. And if I have to do a one-line pitch, it's local solutions to meet local needs. Um, and that's really the core focus of the York region pilot. Uh, so really to procure a lot of these resources that can potentially meet the system needs in York region itself, uh, we decided to come up with uh, something called we, we call the local electricity market. And I'm using the word local a lot, but that kind of gives you an emphasis of what we're really trying to do, right? Which is let the communities themselves um, be more active in their in how they play with the energy space um, within their region. Which is so. And so this electric. It's just before we go on. It's so fascinating. I've, I've I've stumbled across this a lot in the last year and a half or so. You know, rewind the tape. Probably over a hundred years. Um, I should know the timeline, but when this province got started, we didn't have transmission that we have now. We didn't have you know, back to Toronto, to Kingston. So we didn't have that, but we, we, we got there. But we started kind of local, then we went to a grid-wise, and now we're kind of, we, we seem to be trending back local. So you know, that whole phrase, 
what's what's old is new again. We we, we kind of seem to be living up to that again, right? Which is kind of that's kind of cool. I, I like it. Yeah, no, for sure, uh, for sure. And uh, one of the things we've always heard from our our sector participants and uh, keep them on ISO. Uh, we work with the stakeholders very, very closely. Um, we want to make sure that anything that we're doing is reflective of what the stakeholder uh, or what um, the communities are looking for. Right. And they've said that they want to be more involved in how electricity is being uh, procured and planned. And that's where working with municipalities, working with um, local CNI customers, commercial industrial customers, um, we've heard that you know we might have resources available, and why don't we help out as well? And uh, what we're essentially doing is building the market for it now. Um, so that's really uh, the big core focus of this project too. We are going to build a distribution level market. Um, it's going to be the very first, uh, first of its kind in Canada. And even in talking to EPRI, we're doing a lot of uh, very big firsts in North America too. Um, and uh, one of the biggest things we're, we're even piloting too is something called distribution locational marginal pricing. So historically at the wholesale level, um, with market renewal that ICE was currently undertaking, we're moving something towards locational marginal pricing. What that means is um, like how we're going to procure generation and the clearing mechanisms, we're going to be changing. It's going to focus a lot on uh, uh, losses, uh, system constraints, and also locational value. Mm. We're going to do it right down to distribution level as well now and pilot it through this project. And so that's, I know that's definitely a, a first um, as well. Another, I guess, quote-unquote buzzword is interoperability. And what that really means is how does even a local market, how can it communicate um, with the wholesale market? Mm. And that's something we're going to test and pilot as well, too. Um, what system of singles are needed? What pricing singles? And how does everything really fit together um, with a distribution-level market and uh, a transmission-level market? And we're really hoping to address um, the reliability of a, a lot of these uh, DER resources um, to really participate in like a distribution level market and also provide a need. And at the same time, too, we want to make sure that anything that we do can interact with uh, ISO's wholesale market, too. So uh, it's definitely a very exciting project, a uh, very revolutionary, very groundbreaking project. And, um, and we're really excited to undertake this one. So, so I'm, I, uh, I didn't graduate near the top of my class, so I got to unpack this slowly. Um, let, let's take these elements one at a time let's let's first talk about um you know the resources describe for me i mean that's a you know that could mean you know i think i think i know what it means but i mean it could mean anything so talk to me a little bit about what constitutes a resource within this pilot project yeah that's a really great question um so right now for uh, this particular pilot, we are looking to secure uh, demand response resources. So uh, i.e. like low displacement, for instance. Um, we're also looking to uh, secure energy storage. And then the other one is uh, gas fired resources um, oh. as well. So uh, anything that's really at the distribution level, anything that can at least provide um, demand response or at least uh, supply of uh, energy, that's what we're looking to really secure um, for this project. Now, the one thing that's really different uh, in Ontario's today's wholesale market, um, you need an aggregation of at least one megawatt of um, the type of resources to even participate at the wholesale level. And for the York Region pilot, we're scaling this right down to 100 kilowatts. So really? because of this, in uh, yeah, so it's definitely going to be a lot lower level, and this should at least open access to a lot of new different resources. 
Um, and one of the things we even heard from, we've heard from uh, the smart thermostat community where they, there's potential that they can aggregate enough uh, smart thermostats together to provide demand response. And that's something that um, is really exciting to us, uh, how even these type of uh, new resources can behave um, when we send down signals to them. Can they, uh, will they be able to provide um, the resources that we need uh, during peak times and during uh, peak constraints? So, um, but essentially we are looking at a wide diversity of different resources now. And we're also hearing from sector participants whether or not um, they have solar resources even. And, um, uh, but right now the, the core focus that we've heard back from is demand response, energy storage, and uh, gas-fired resources that are available in the New York region area. So um, we're, we're peeling away layers of the onion. And so my mind is now going in a hundred different directions, but so gas-fired, I mean, I understand that it's, you know, whether it's simple cycle or CHP, that's, I think, I think you're talking about some kind of continuous duty um, type generation storage. I understand. I mean, we have, I think batteries, but we, I think from ISO's perspective, you're, you'd love to see, you know, more than just batteries, I think in terms of the storage, I mean, the technology maybe isn't there yet, but on the demand response side, um, you're talking primarily as a load curtailment, or are you also talking, you know, one thing I thought of was, you know, I would imagine there's a whole bunch of, you know, standby generators that, you know, with some with some modifications to their electrical system could potentially, you know, dispatch into this marketplace. I mean, what do you, when you say demand response, is it kind of an open open market, so to speak? It is very open market. Um, we're fairly agnostic to the technologies that can implement demand response, but essentially is what you mentioned, uh, load displacement or load curtailment. Yeah. And that's what we view as demand response. So whatever uh, whatever technologies you have um, to help you do that, uh, we're fairly agnostic to it. So is there is one of the challenges or one of the research items that you're working on, I mean, for you know, there's going to be, whether it's energy storage, whether it's, you know, gas fired or demand response, there's, there are going to be distribution system impacts to, you know, if there's, if there's a desire to introduce new assets into this market, um, I mean, load reduction, not an issue, no load curtailment, not an issue, but if you want to introduce new synchronous uh, generation, um, how is the, is the market, that, that's up, I mean, Hydro One has improved a great deal in the last, and all the distribution companies have, in terms of integrating DG as it's become more normalized. But it's still a barrier to project development. I think they're, you know, at the risk of taking a position. I think there still is a level of conservatism in terms of that. Yeah. Integrating DG like that is that part of your research? How to reduce some of those barriers and still do so safely? Um. No, I wouldn't say it's the core focus. And a lot, uh, I'll be honest, Electra will be able to speak to this a lot more because right now they do hold the uh, interconnection and the process for the interconnection. Um, with that said, uh, we did have our stakeholder engagement uh, last week, and one of the questions that come up about um, fast tracking interconnections. But uh, just putting on my old utility hat on, um, at the same time, too, a lot of it has to be fair and uh, fair and um, Reliability always has to be a main concern too. So, uh, with that said, um, while we do understand like bringing on any type of new new resource that can inject into the grid, uh, might be challenging based on the time constraints. Um, we also this project is running for two years, um, so okay. year one, yeah. 
so in November of 2020, we're going to try to at least secure up to 10 megawatts of um, discrete energy resources. And then year two, we're, we're targeting Q4 of 2021 uh, as well. Like it's, it's an opportunity where you can play uh, in the second year if you do have these new type of resources. Okay. Um, so let's talk a bit about the, we talked a bit about the resources. I, I think I understand more. Let's talk about the market. First of all, um, York region, I mean, can you, for somebody from Niagara or somebody from outside of Ontario, just a general description of, of the bounds of the, the market? Yeah, um, so it's it's drawn on a map right now, but just to, to share the communities, it'll be Markham, Vaughan, and Richmond Hill. Okay. And then uh, if you fit within the boundaries of uh, that's been kind of drawn on a map, that's electric service territory and, and are within Markham, Vaughan, and Richmond Hill too. Um, there's a good chance that if you do have these resources available, you can participate in our our market. Okay. And is the thinking uh, in terms of participating that the the um, the resources will exist today? You're not because it's a pilot, because it's research. You're not necessarily thinking you're going to drive investment in new resources. This is probably deployment of existing resources. Yes, very much. So um, we do expect that the majority of the resources may be ones that already exist or already have uh, steel in the ground or providing other services. Um, so the commercial and industrial customers that also have energy storage um, as part of uh, industrial conservation initiative, ICI, uh, they might want to use their resources also to participate in this pilot. Okay. Um, so that's what we're expecting. We're gonna procure anything that exists, but at the same time too, we're not gonna exclude anything that um, people wanna build. Okay. So then let's talk a little bit about the market construct and, and you mentioned signals. I mean, often when we talk about energy markets, um, sometimes at a higher level, they, they use the term signals as, you know, infer to drive investment. I think we've clarified you're not looking, you're not necessarily trying to drive investment, but you're, you're going to need some kind of market signals that drive behavior by these assets. Like, how's that? Is it going to be a, a spot rate is like how's that the market signals kind of the Adam Smith freehand of the economy like how how's that all going to work? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, so at the core focus of it, we're going to hold a capacity auction. Oh, uh, and the capacity auction will the first one will happen in November of 2020. Okay. And with this capacity auction, anybody that has a resource that can provide capacity, um, and we're allowing up to three megawatts uh, maximum with uh, 100 kilowatts minimum. If you have uh, this type of resources available, you'll bid into this capacity auction, and then um, and then from that, uh, based on uh, who really wins and who clears this capacity auction, too, we'll go into the next step. And these resources will then participate in uh, an energy market, and this will be a daily energy market um, that they'll participate into, and that's where we really start focusing on uh, DLMP, distribution, locational, marginal pricing. Um, and how basically uh, it interplays with the wholesale market. So it's almost a two-level type of uh, auction, if you will. Uh, one to basically allow you to now provide capacity, and then once you clear the capacity market, you'll also be playing in this energy market as well. So that's where the pricing singles. Um, we do have a maximum clearing price that we set, and this maximum clearing price, it was really built upon a few things, uh, factors in wholesale market prices, um, it also factors in uh, the cost of capital deferral. So because of the fact that we want to test bed whether or not these resources can defer 
uh, future capital investments, we built we built in um, this pricing, um, the net present value of capital deferral into the maximum clearing price as well. And uh, at the end is really now up to the people participating, um, how this clears, that we'll have a clear indication of, you know what, this is the value or disputed energy resources uh, within the York region area. Hmm. So this two-pronged approach, the capacity, let's, let's walk through that for somebody who may be interested in participating but not necessarily understand, you know, commercially the, the nuts and bolts. So the capacity auction, you bid, if, you're, if your bid is kind of right, I don't know how better to describe it, then, and they're selected to provide a certain megawatt or kilowatt uh, value of capacity, then does the ISO or Electra send a signal when they need them to run? Is that kind of how it works? Yeah. So the payments, how we'll pay them is based on availability. Uh, and availability is very much the capacity. Okay. Um, and then plus uh, distribution, distribution location market pricing. And what the LMP essentially is, is energy. Right. And so we'll be paying them both on capacity and energy. So uh, if you want to look at capacity, it's uh, megawatts um, available or kilowatts available, if you will. But And then the energy will be kilowatt hour. So if you are basically uh, serving a need um, per kilowatt hour basis. And then on top of that, we have some other stuff in terms of like uh, penalties if you don't perform um, and test activations. But at its core focus, it is uh, basically availability um, plus, uh, plus energy. So the, the availability payment, I mean, it's implied, but you know, if 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 the phone rings, they got to run, right? Like it's, it's uh, yeah. Right. We will be sending down uh, dispatch singles and saying, uh, you know what, you got to come on, and then they have to come on. And if they don't come on, then uh, we'll, we'll kind of take a look and reassess. So we talked about resources. We talked about how the market kind of functions. The last piece I wanted to kind of unpack is, um, and I'm not, I mean, I think it's really ultimately, how does this benefit? customer and, and said a different way, you know, what's really driving these economics? Like, you know, what, how are we paying for these market signals? And ultimately, how is this cascading down to a, to a benefit to the customer? Can you kind of walk us through, I'm always, I'm always in my world with my clients, always thinking about, you know, avoided, you know, future costs or savings, or, you know, it's, it's, it's not, not necessarily a revenue play. It's a, it's an avoidance of capital. It's, savings what, what's the economic play here that benefits the customer yeah that's actually a really great question and i'll kind of have to answer this in a bit of a few phases uh the first one is how this project is even funded mm. so the project is funded by both um the grid innovation fund that uh that i manage and what that essentially is is just that 9.5 million dollar uh your daughter looks really cute for those listeners are just coming in <laughs> that daughter just ran in there uh, um but essentially, uh, what uh, it's being funded by the Innovation Fund right now, which is our 9.5 uh, per year uh, investment into research and innovation. And the brand there is um, Gridimation? Grid Innovation. Oh, Grid Innovation. Grid Innovation Fund. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and then we're funding $5 million of it. And then the other $5 million is coming from Enercan. So Enercan is our funding partner in this particular project. Um, so the entire project value is really $10 million. Um, and so this won't have any direct impact on the ratepayers or, uh, like it won't like what we're funding won't go back and impact load, uh, by any means. Um, so it's completely separate 
highlight type of funding portfolio. And this is just for this demonstration project. Right. Uh, in the future, still to be determined how any programs like this can be potentially run, but uh, everything is through funds right now. Um, now, when it comes to uh, why we're doing this, uh, once again, it's really to hit back local system needs uh, or local resources to meet local needs. And if you kind of look at the supply chain of you know historical uh, uh, transmission distribution, right? Um, you have a generation, and you have these long transmission lines, and then after going down to distribution, and then going right down to um, uh, a homeowner, for instance. Um, can we like reinvent the supply chain? And if we procure something just right next to you know uh, that person's home, will it be cheaper? Will it be more economic? Um, but at the same time, too, right? Can we push back uh, the investments that are required to upgrade transformers and uh, distribution assets? And that's what we really want to test too, right? Are the prices that we secure is it going to be cheaper than the traditional means of, of um, transmission and uh, distribution capital investments? And really, we, we can't answer that until we clear the auctions. Um, that's how we'll know if the prices are economic uh, as well. But it's really exciting because uh, another industry kind of buzz thing is stack benefits. We keep hearing about stack benefits of non-wells alternatives. We're going to at least try to put a number to at least one of the values, and that's for capital deferral um, using these non-wells alternatives. Uh, so the other thing element of this, too, is if you look at losses. When you transport um, from transmission to distribution all the way down to the home, you're going to see losses. Um, and uh, for this one, while we we didn't bake losses into distribution and location market pricing, uh, it'll still be good to know like um, how reliable is the service um, mm. if we procured like right next to the customer's home too, right? Uh, you know, less kilometers of feeder that anything needs to transport uh, through. Um, you know, are you, are we really providing more reliable service uh, essentially? And that's something we'll also go and evaluate too when we send down these singles. Uh, do they come on when they need to, and are they supplying a pretty reliable steady stream of uh, electricity back into the grid? The reliability piece is interesting because, on one hand, you know, you may have you know a cloud pass over a large solar farm, or you may have a you know something happen out on the macro grid, and that may introduce um, some lack of reliability or instability into the grid. Um, at a global level, so you may say, well, we, we don't want long wires because it's a risk point, but I think if you have, a, it's not not quite that simple because on a small scale, you know, keeping the reliability up of smaller localized assets, that's that's not that's not a perfect, you know, world either, right? So that you're gonna have to, that, yeah. and maybe that's part of your research is to do that comparison. We're gonna reduce reliability concerns on the big scale, but there are some new reliability concerns and what's the net net comparison, right? Yeah, so definitely that's where um, we're hoping to procure uh, a diverse set of assets, but once again, it really depends on who clears the auction too, but we're hoping that you know um, we can test demand response and even things like smart thermostats. Uh, right now today, like there's a lot of smart thermostats in the York region area too. Uh, can these residential assets aggregate it together? Can they actually um, are they reliable type of service uh, right now that can impact the grid? Um, batteries, we, uh, we talk about the flexibility of batteries and everybody, uh, everybody knows that like, batteries are one of these new assets that uh, based on its capacity you can do so many different things with them too. So that's something we're interested in testing out. And um, truly one of the research things we're going to look at is the behavior of uh, all the different assets we procure and how reliable they are. Like do they turn on when they need to turn on and do they provide the uh, the services that we need them to. 
So is it fair to say that, you know, from a macro level, and I think that's been confirmed by some of the stakeholders you've been doing, but all of us kind of know anecdotally or intuitively that local generation for local sources makes sense. We all know that. We all know that if we can get to that world, it's going to result in, you know, deferred capital because you're not going to have to upgrade stations. You may not have, may not have to build a, a new, you know, station in Kingsville or, you know, wherever. You, you may not have to build new large-scale generations that come with their own, you know, issues politically. We all know the benefits, but what your research is intended to do is to put a realistic cost to those benefits. Is that kind of what what's the missing piece in this whole global versus local electricity decision making? Yeah, definitely. And uh, like it's it's research published out there has always said uh, one of the biggest benefits is capital deferral, right, uh, for non-wells alternatives. So let's put a number to it and let's really test it out. Is it really economic? And right. a lot of that the market will have to come and tell us. And uh, you hear industry let the market figure it out. The markets will always figure it out. Um, so we're going to let the market figure it out first this time around and see yeah. that you know. Yeah, it's uh, nice, nice to say. Yeah, it's nice to say that we don't have we don't have to spend a billion dollars on a new transmission line. But if 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 it's still the most economical way to do it, you know, yeah. we can't be blind to that reality. So that's what your research is going to tell us, basically. For sure. Very cool. For sure. And everything that we uh, we do, we do make public. So one of the benefits of the Green Innovation Fund is all research is made available. We don't uh, we don't hide anything. We don't keep anything confidential. Uh, the way we really view it, it's it's research for Ontario. It's research for electricity players in Ontario and the stakeholders of Ontario. And through this, uh, like the rest of Ontario can take the research and really um, use it to, to advance their next steps if they need to. Wow. And... and um are there? We talked about this being first of its kind in Canada for sure, and, and probably in North America. Are there are there European markets or other parts of the world that have gone down this garden trail, or are you guys pioneers worldwide? Uh, I wish we were pioneers worldwide, but Europe is far. <laughs> it's pretty much a demands uh, on that side. So they developed it. They call it flexibility markets in Europe. Uh, so I know UK is right now undertaking a few of these quote unquote flexibility markets. Uh, I think Germany also is getting involved in these flexibility markets as well. So um, they are uh, they are pretty forward thinking when it comes to distribution level um, resources and the flexibility they can provide, and really facilitating and building a marketplace for it. So uh, Europe is definitely uh, ahead of the game uh, when it comes to building these types of um, distribution level uh, playgrounds, I guess, or sandboxes. And are there um, are there Canadian specific realities that you think you're going to you've thought about you're going to uncover as a result? Like one could say, well, if they figured it out over there, you know, just take it from 50 hertz to 60 hertz and we'll use it here. But presumably there's some there's some realities that are nuanced to a Canadian pilot that, that may they may not have been confronted with. Uh, yeah, like that's always the case when it comes to just different jurisdictions. Uh, we have different regulators, we have different uh, policies, uh, even Ontario's grid, if you look at it. So if this pilot proves successful and you want to implement this full scale across Ontario, right? Um, Ontario is actually fairly rural, so we, we really don't go up north too much. But when you start re going to regions of like uh, Muskoka, Wabashine, like um, some of these uh, really northern territories that still need reliable like uh, electricity 
the distribution level, it just goes haywire. It goes uh, pretty bonkers, right? You have 200 kilometer long distribution lines, right? Along vast rights of way um, that really get impacted during force majeure or outage uh, during storms, right? Sure. And yeah, and because the profile is so different in Ontario, um, whatever these markets look like, you're gonna have to build in a lot more, uh, build a lot more, I guess, factors of variables into two, right? Like for instance, uh, if you know, uh, do you know the term safety and safety? Um, so in Ontario, a lot of utilities, they're measured based on safety safety. And what it really means is uh, outages. Okay. So how many outages uh, customers experience and how long these outages last for. And that's really the metric that a lot of uh, utilities are measured against. So when you start looking up north, right, where safety and safety becomes uh, like a bit of a gong show, um, how do you build these type of metrics into any market that you're building there? And what are you paying for? Are you paying for reliability? You're paying for energy? You're paying for capacity? Uh, everything needs to fit together. So uh, Ontario is really unique. Um, and it will be really challenging for us to apply uh, Europe-based uh, like markets and infrastructure and apply right to Ontario just because of how unique Ontario really is. Yeah, yeah, that makes, that makes perfect sense. Um, a thought that's occurred to me as we're talking here, because, you know, our business, we spend a lot of time with CHB where we have this convergence of gas and electricity. Um, I realize it's probably not the purview of this work, but do you see another layer of integration and innovation where we can, you know, utilize the, uh, there are also non-wires alternatives, the, the buried, you know, natural gas infrastructure, do you see that as another layer of this, perhaps in the future? Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, like we we do have a lot of interesting. I, I did receive a lot of interesting questions uh, from a webinar that I uh, conducted, and a lot of people are interested about the different type of resources in the future. So uh, even CHP is definitely one of them. Another one would be uh, I got a question about SMRs, so small modular reactors too. Oh, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. For the purpose of this particular pilot, um, we're we're not really looking at you know uh, um, these significant different diverse resources because a we don't even know how to settle or clear them <laughs> to, to right. be honest, right? Right, right. Um, but in the future, like any market, uh, needs to be a little bit more sophisticated, and robust. Like what we're doing, keep in mind because it's a pilot, it's it's a fundamental framework or a fundamental concept, and if the concept proves uh, successful, then further work has to be done. Like you're right. going to have to look at uh, new economic models, um, how to set on clear, and even resources that can provide multitudes of services, right, um, for different things. Um, that's something that will you have to start baking into any pricing, um, you know, when you ever settle this type of market. So definitely in the future, there's a huge opportunity for a vast variety or diversity of resources. So. Kind of um, as we close here, uh, maybe a little bit early to tell, but um, if if the auction in November goes well, if the year of operation goes well, um, you know, if this if this research turns out to you know indicate that hey, this this thing is something that we can run with, where do you go next? That's a good question. Um... Well, we're you know we're gonna take it one step at a time, and then uh, like I'll be honest, like we're going haywire just trying to get the first option. Sure, up and I running. can imagine, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, but 
once it clears, we're really going to take a look back at um, how everything performed and uh, when even the resources when they come on. So uh, we call it the commitment period. So resources will have to come on between May to October of, uh, of next year. So in May to October 2021, that's when uh, these resources will send singles down to them to turn on and okay. we'll see how they perform and behave. And uh, based on that too, that allows to really uh, know what we should do next. Um, so. I know this is a very interesting topic and one that uh, is in broad discussion. Who should operate the distribution level mark in the future, right? Uh, or quote unquote, like DSO, distribution system operator. And I know that's something that's uh, definitely hotly talked about in industry. Um, you have utilities, you have aggregators, you have uh, individual technology providers. Um, and what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a look at the research. We're gonna take a look at the evidence and then we'll We'll figure out, hey, does this distribution level market even make sense? And if it does, uh, we'll, we'll take it from there. So we will work with um, the stakeholder community to basically advise us on their thoughts and opinions. So. I, I think uh, in terms of where, where you'll go next, um, my sense is that where you will go next is probably uh, on the speaking circuit to all these conferences. Your, your research will be in, uh, in likely in high demand. I mean, it, it'll be a story that uh, I think people, you know, people in our space will want to hear about. Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, there's not of a there's not a lack of interest. Uh, oh, that's just, cool. That's good. Uh, one one very uh, practical and technical question. Um, before we close, um, as when we get live on this on these market signals and this distribution level um, curtailment demand response, is there a chance that I'm on a ride at Canadian at Canada's Wonderland and and the ride comes to a screeching halt because they've uh, received a dispatch signal to reduce demand? Is that possible? Uh, I I hope not. That's <laughs> not on us though. So you gotta blame uh, Canada's Wonderland if they uh, decide to base the grind grind you guys to a halt um but uh you know what that's that's something that we do hope any participant uh, they really take consideration of their uh their customers as well um well, so that, you know that's why that's why it's so interesting right because it you know on one hand we can talk about markets and systems and you know uh resources things that are kind of um you know vague but you know to your point it's all about the customers and so every customer whether they're making a product whether they're taking care of the vulnerable in an institutional facility or they're putting people on a ride you know that decision making is is so customer specific so um this has been great sure. Matt. where where uh, what's the best way for people who are interested to learn more or get involved what's the best way to to find out more or maybe get in touch with you yeah um so you can actually shoot me an email so it's pat so p-a-t dot low l-o at iso.ca so uh they, iso was nice to me they kept my email short they truncated my name for some reason when i came and so okay uh, for now i've always been known as pat now okay all right <laughs> cool well thanks so much pat for your time this has been uh, really really enjoyable um you know, you've you've kept it uh, very clear and understandable for me and uh, by extension, uh, the team that's going to be listening. So um, thank you for your time to our listeners. This was episode 33 of Energy Radio. Uh, my guest today was Pat Lowe of the ISO. Uh, he is uh, leading the research and development of Canada's first uh, localized electricity market. Uh, more to come on that. My thanks to Mark Charbonneau our man behind the glass, and Lisa Barber, our executive producer. My name is Matt Lensink, and we look forward to chatting on the next episode of Energy Radio.